Did you forget about Knox Unplugged today? Would you turn that? I phone didn't. Off? I did not. No. Doggone you! I wanted you to forget too. <laughs> I totally, I totally forgot. I, I was so happy this morning. I was like, man, I don't have nothing to do this morning, so I can. Uh oh, what happened to Jason? He just there. He goes. He disappeared for a second. Una momento. I don't know. And so uh, I was like, ah, oh, I can relax. And then my stupid calendar kicked on. It was like, guess what you're forgetting today? <laughs> I was like, oh! and I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say, okay, well, shoot, I've blown it. Let me just. And then I remembered that we have an audience that will come find us and hang us by <laughs> yeah, our toes. They, they will hunt us down. They will hunt us down. And there was now. I got to talk about some of them real quick because somebody hit me up and was like, hey. um, this is what it's like. And they put a little meme up of some guy being like super bored waiting. This is what it's like waiting for the next knocks unplugged. And I'm like, wait a second, we're not behind. And he didn't know that we had uploaded one. And, okay. And so I sent him a link. I was like, don't be, don't be blaming us. <laughs> you know, when you up here not looking well. So, you know, I was thinking about, um, so last time we talked about transformers and I think you, we had all the spoilers in there. But you know what we didn't talk about? And what? my my son tells me, he's like, Dad, you know what you and Mr. Farley need to do? You guys need to do movie reviews. I was like, well, we kind of do movie reviews. He's like, no, no, no. no not, not with all the other stuff. He's like, just straight up, straight up movie reviews. Just straight up, up and down. It's all about the movie. I'm like, everybody already does that. Like, who, you know, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. But we didn't talk about Miles Morales. We didn't. I feel like I need to watch it again, though. Like, it was so... It was so... I, the, my first time through, I felt like I was so overwhelmed by how beautiful everything was. Okay. That, that I was like, I don't know. I need, to, I need another take at this just to get the... <laughs> it was... Because, like... J- there was so much awe as I was watching it at the animation that there were times when I was just, I was like, Oh my gosh, this whole thing is incredible. And I know that like, like the scene where she's talking with her dad. And yes. Yes. Gwen, her, which, which wait, by the way, whose movie is this? Let's just be honest. Whose movie is this Gwen's movie or is this miles movie? I'm really confused. I think it was I think Gwen was probably more the main character. But you're right. What but it, can we are we going to spoil it if we is it too, too soon late. to spoil this one? Too late. We've already spoiled it. Because they because it was part 2 in a trilogy. You have a ton of setup that you that you don't know where it's going yet. <clears throat> and so um so they did a lot to set up Gwen's story for the final, you know, for the third part of the trilogy, which makes me think it's her. But and they ended the chiasm was they started with her, and they mm-hmm. ended and with they her. Ended with her, yep, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think you were in her world more than in Miles's world. Yep, my Miles was in her world, I guess you'd say, for this one. Um, but like because the world she lives in is a watercolor and it's and as her world falls apart it sort of melts behind her like that whole scene I, the whole time i was like this is 
gorgeous and I can barely pay attention to the dialogue. It's so beautiful. Um, that, yeah, I feel like I need another time through it before. <laughs> so let me post to you the question that my son posed to me. Okay. And, and um, so my son, he, he's, he's, he's comic book. He's into it. Like he gets it. He yeah. gets, he's, it's amazing. Raising your kids with a classical education, how much they pick up on story and brand and characters, yeah. not just in TV shows, but in life. Right. right. So immediately they're like, oh, he's like so-and-so. So then the, he starts judging how he's going to engage and act with something before he ever gets to it because he knows that this character in, enjoys or dislikes this thing this particular way. Right. Right. <laughs> and so they, 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 they kind of pull like this. Um, I know how my friend's going to engage this. <laughs> or I know how my nemesis is going to engage this. And so they, they're kind of ready for it. But all through story brand, but watching He's like, Dad, why is it that everybody is equating Miles Morales, um, Lost in Spider-Verse to uh, everything, everywhere, all at once? Yeah. He's like, because you said that movie was horrible, right? And, uh, and yet everybody says that these two things are pieces of work. And he's like, I know Miles Morales. At least at this point, he's like, it doesn't seem like they've gone off the ledge. No, no, definitely they haven't gone off the ledge. I think I think it's because you've got the both of them are multiverse stories. Both of them are gorgeous, right? Because that's the thing. Everything, everywhere, all at once. What you can't deny is that that's a that it's visually beautiful, stunning. Um, that the way that they, um, the way that they set it up was so that each world really has its own aesthetic and um but what they what they did was try to use that to justify so they tried to use their the beauty to justify that any sort of setup or any sort of relationship um is equivalent to any other relationship so long as it feels the same right so that the feeling between two people is the is the constant throughout the universe. And, you know, this is something that um, Chesterton talks about in uh, the ethics of Elfland in orthodoxy, where he says that you can change the, uh, the, the leaves from green to gold on an apple tree from in, in fairyland, but you can't make, uh, you can't make stealing right. You can't make murder right. Right. There are certain things that that um, would make it would make the universe nonsensical or the universe a bad place that and then other things that you can change and are up for grabs, you know, that are and what the the constant in um, in the Spider-Verse is the father is the father child relationship the constant at what they tried to make the constant throughout the multiverse in everything everywhere all at once is the way two people feel about each other. So you can have homosexual relationships, lesbian relationships. You can have um, that, but that, that um, you, that whatever, whatever you would call, whatever feels like love between two people, that's what's the constant that and 
they pushed it so hard that they even, if you've seen everything everywhere all at once, they, they get to that point with the hot dog finger place where they're playing piano with their toes and they try to make it into, they, they try to make you feel the love story the same way that you do um, between, you know, just the, the husband and wife um, in the cent, you know, in the, in the, the kind of the central characters uh, love stories. And, it doesn't work that way, right? There are certain things that it doesn't matter where you are, um, uh, that, that, that you say, now you, you can't pull that wool over my eyes. You're although a lot of people obviously have had that wool pulled over their eyes, right? That, but, but it's because I think everything everywhere all at once, what it proves is that culturally speaking, we have already fallen, um, Christians have already fallen into that ditch because we don't have a good answer when two people come up and they say, well, but we feel this, our love feels the same way your love feels. How can it, you know, what, what makes it different? And we go, well, I, you know, it's, Feelings it's, don't matter. Feelings, feelings don't matter. Are relevant. Yeah, right. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you say facts don't care about your feelings. You say, well, that's actually not a particularly good argument when it comes to a love story, right? <laughs> um, and that you know, this is why I I don't um, the Edward Spencer I think is so important. Like we talked about last week, Edward Spencer is the inventor of what we what, of the modern love story. Mm. he takes all of the the what you would think of as love um all of the medieval um allegorical love of you know uh courtly love all of those traditions and says what if it was applied to a husband and wife within a covenant <laughs> mm. right which is which it took a while to get there um but that's that's the scriptural, you know, that that's, that's song of Solomon, right? Is the, the love of a wife um, and a husband in the contexts of a, in the context of a covenant um, that's deep and passionate and, and full of feelings that that's a safe place for that fire to be lit. You know, that's the, that's the fireplace where you want the fire burning really, really hot. Uh, whereas if you get a hot fire, it's not necessarily a blessing if the hot fire is outside the mm. fireplace, right? A hot fire is a curse if a, the hot fire is on the walls. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Fire right. is not the problem. It's where it's placed at. Yes, yeah, where it's placed at, right? Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and you see that with everything everywhere all at once, that you don't have covenant protections around the love. You don't have the covenant uh, promises that go with the love. You don't have the uh, the societal um, uh, the societal help to uphold the covenant protections because it's not a public it, it's not a public relationship. All of the good mm. things that you that um, that go that take that love and make it possible um, for it to be a, a long term blessing. Uh, to 
the individuals to society to the human race in terms of you know children being born and raised and you know sent off into the world all of those things are separated from the feeling and the feeling is taken out of the protections of the fireplace and it's just sort of tossed around willy-nilly and sometimes that means it just burns out quick you know um and sometimes that means it just burns the whole house down but the protections of um purposefully reflecting the 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 fa- uh the family of the father son and the holy spirit or the the triune community um and the covenantal nature of god's life purposefully reflecting that with our relationships um is a protection to keep that love growing and you know because you you're married for very long and you realize oh my gosh i married somebody who's in constant flux she's changing all the time right but the Aaron that i that i spent you know that i drank a cup of coffee with this morning versus the Aaron that i asked to marry me are very very different um but right you're right so you've got the constant flux and change what is it that um that that protects that it can't be my own feelings because my feelings are something that are in flux and changing. And, you know, um, it's not, that's not something that I can put faith in or that Aaron can put faith in, right? She can't fully, fully give herself to uh, my feelings because she knows how often they change. I mean, last night I went through you know, a, a, a moment where I just was like, what's it really all worth? You know, Bennett spent about 30 minutes despairing because um, I'm, you know, doing the math. As you get... <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was just doing the math as you get close to the end of the month. I'm like, oh, that like, has got the, this, you know, you're doing the math and you're like, oh, what's it all for? <laughs> you know, here I am. This is, you know, running out again. Uh, you, yeah. know, and, you know, that yeah. that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, and if, if my wife has to depend upon my feelings in order to be able to give herself fully to this relationship, um, then she's in a real, she's that that's a tough thing to, to trust. Um, but that's not what God does with us, right? God gives us promises, covenant vows. He gives us covenant signs and seals and covenant renewals. Right. And he says this, you can trust the promise. Now, God doesn't fluctuate the way we do, but we can imitate him by giving that same sort of, um, we can make promises. We, you know, and, uh, it's still a risk. Obviously all relationships are a risk. Um, and you know, the, it doesn't matter. This is something that I think some people, when they have teenagers, they're spending their time trying to figure out how to limit the risk of their kids' relationships. Um, and I guess you can do some of that, but it's always a risk, right? Yeah. Um, and, but what we can do is set up small, small societies because society at large doesn't, doesn't offer the protections and the supports that we need, um, for covenant faithfulness, but we can set up small societies, our families, our churches, um, our friendships, you know, and say, uh, 
we're going to reflect the triune nature of covenant love and support one another in doing it, right? Uphold one another. And everything, everywhere, all at once is acid to that kind of life. It's acid to the life that says, um, because it's, it's existentialist, right? That, that every, that, that, um, so we've talked about existentialism some. Yeah, a little bit. Existentialism is the view that everything is only in this particular shape right now because of the coercive force of, of historical forces of some sort, right? So whether it's economic forces, physical forces, uh, psychological forces, whatever it is, things are in this current shape, not because there's any meaning attached to this shape of things, um, but because of coercive external forces, because that's true, there is no ultimate meaning. There's no. So if we're going to find meaning in our life, we have to wrestle the meaning of our individual lives. We have to wrestle it out of the meaninglessness. And we do that either through some sort of decision um, to make think something meaningful, to find something that's meaningful to us, even though it's not ultimately meaningful and grab onto it. Right? Um, but what existent and everything everywhere all at once is existentialist philosophy put into a multiverse story. So everybody's trying to wrestle meaning out of the relationships, um, out of their feelings, really the feeling of meaning out of their relationships. Um, and it just ultimately doesn't work. So I mean, it turns each person into a vampire where they're sucking the life out of the things around them and emptying the things around them. Which makes sense why we enjoy vampire movies now, too. Um, <laughs> where vampires as the good guy. Used right. To be the yeah. other way. Yeah. It used to be the other I, way around. Yeah. I, I love Blade. Let's go kill some vampires. I'm with right? that. <laughs> I'm with that. I love Blade, too. I'm looking forward to the new one whenever that does decide. To, it should be Wesley Snipes still. That's all I'm saying. He's paid his dues. <laughs> Wesley is the only Blade I recognize. Um, but so then yeah, we're going to have to start a Not My Blade campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Unless the movie's good, then like, okay, yeah, he gets yeah. it. He gets to hold the the mantle for a little bit. I got a couple questions. Um, why is it though that people the, uh, the conflating of both? So, there, I see why people identify with everything, everywhere, all at once because they that's the world. Since they're all acting like that, that's the world that they're striving to live in, um, right. or they're trying to make. They're all in that same fight, so they can identify with somebody else because they're in that same fight. So it's attractive to them that story. Across the Spider Verse, at least at this point in the story, is complete opposition to that. Right. So then, why well, is it that they find both of these like, oh? I, I mean, I I think some of it's just the externals, right? So you're bouncing from one, you're bouncing through universes, right? That each have a different artistic setup. So I think that's some of it. They're using um, the same sort of um, uh, format in order to tell the story. And so it right, seems familiar. Right. Um, and, you know, multiverse stories, multiverse science fiction, there's it's um, it it's a particular kind of fairy tale that I think is is up for grabs. It can be used well. It can be used poorly. Yeah. Um, 
the what they what they've done is um they have made it clear that it's not random so that so it's more of you've got different creators sub creators for each universe right you don't have the random the random nature of things in everything everywhere all at once is i think the um the root problem right they're trying to show what is what does it look like for a um they're they're using the multiverse as an excuse to treat the world like it has no creator right that's a self-created world uh you don't have that at all in um you you across have different yeah across the spider verse you basically have a different artist at the um at the creation level of each world and you had that in the first one right so you have like spider pig shows up and it's uh, it's obviously a looney tunes right um right spider noir right and um and it which is uh oh what's the 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 guy the guy that invented the noir novel really great storyteller um he he uh but so you've got these different creators that are obviously functioning functioning so because of that um and then because they the father the father child relationship is a um is a biologically and covenantally rooted relationship right that um that uh they that everybody's wrestling with interestingly enough i mean i think what's the the one the spider the the spider-man that you meet that's like a drunk falling apart in the first one this one you meet him with his right, child right. and it has brought his sanity back right he, he so he's been he's made his more human sanity has yeah. been restored by his but but by becoming a father right where so where he had lost his father and then he had lost you know because of the relationships he'd lost along the way he'd lost his sanity his by becoming a father his sanity is restored right you and um and you've got that kind of running joke where he he can't he doesn't want to spend any time away from his kids so he brings his kid on the everywhere with him. and his and his wife is like did you bring her he's like no of course not but well, he, there, when there's a the moment in there he's like hold the baby it's life-changing right like hold the baby it'll change right? your life this little thing yeah. is amazing it changes everything you know right and it's and that's that's completely so they they've rooted um they've rooted people's character in something that is real and true mm. and and the reason i think it's the thing that's missing in most people's lives right father hunger is so deeply present in the the modern world because of the breakdown um because of everything that's broken down i think it starts with the breakdown in the father relationship for most people because of that because of the fatherlessness um in our culture i mean i think it's the reason that we have all of the different um i mean i think most of what you look around and look at and say oh here's a problem here's a problem most of it i think is rooted in father hunger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they have leaned in they leaned into that really hard um 
and okay which makes it really moving so let me push back a little bit too because i think everything everywhere all at once is leaning into that too right because when you look at them but they're always trying to solve it with with a sexual relationship but what validates i mean this is maybe where they're inconsistent but this what validates what makes the whole thing come to a head is that she tells her father off right you're right but he blesses it ultimately right blesses her blesses her um the whole thing is it starts with father hunger, but her dad's but, birthday and she's trying to do everything for him and she's never makes him happy and she can't do anything right. And she should be better because her father thinks so. And all this other stuff, it starts there. And yeah. then it, it ends with him standing basically. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're right. I, there's definitely um, a parallel there. And I think that actor, I can't think of his name right now. He that was plays it yeah. plays it so well that that relationship is actually really moving. Um, he fails his daughter, and they call it success. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I think that's the um, where he says James Hong that he's been around. Yes. This is Big Trouble, Little China. He's been amazing. Oh, yeah, he's that's what was so, so disappointing about this was like et tu brute. Right. At two? Well, he's a, he's really good in the new American Born Chinese. Oh, I haven't seen Disney. that one yet on um, Disney. He's really good in that. It's it's really But I I think what's um yeah, that that's totally it. Is you're like, "Oh, that's so good." And then that he actually fails his daughter and they call it success. And I think that's what's and that that's what's so hard is that's it's fundamentally lying yeah they make the lie really beautiful um because uh you know they they basically say um if you just follow your bodily desires wherever they lead you will find happiness and no matter what universe you live in no matter what the shape of the things around you is no matter what how things have evolved to this point. If you just follow your bodily desires, you will find happiness. And that's just, that's, that's a terrible, terrible way to live. It's trans. Like that's exactly like they, you know, they've, if that's what was so weird when they got to the hot dog hand world, I was like, Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to make me take seriously that, that the shape of things makes no difference. It doesn't matter what it is. So, yeah, I can create myself any kind of way. And so long as that I am fulfilled in that, you should love me. And me going around trying to recreate the universe that way, there's nothing wrong with it. Right. <laughs> nothing right? wrong with trying, trying to because because it's because it's this shape only by the application of force anyway. Yeah. So if I can if I can apply some force and reshape it, it is you know you, you should be supportive of that. And, and if some... you and if you're not, it's because you hate happiness. There's um, I find a lot of Fifth Commandment break. So I've been really intrigued by um, lately about going through God's law again and finding this the applications 
and the multitude of meanings from from a law, right? And I'm realizing that if we study God's law more, God's word more, we would actually have better answers or see um, see the world better. But I think we we stay such we stay so much on the surface. We never go any deeper. We just all we can see is don't dishonor your parents in the fifth commandment, right? It's right. Be, and I I think it's because we don't get beyond the first use of the law, mm. which is to convict of sin because we don't really believe that Jesus is Jesus death on the cross takes our sin away. Mm. So we just, we stop at the guilt. And so we never get to the point where it says, Oh, well the law is also a description of life and a description of a well-run society. Right. <laughs> right. We don't get to that because we can't, we don't, we actually don't believe in justification by faith alone. Yeah. We only use the law as a form of conviction, but not as a form of like, no, this is also brings life mm -hmm. because we never actually get true for get through the forgiveness. Yeah. Huh? I mean, I, yeah, I, I think most, most it's the same with parenting, right? We, when you parent, if you haven't effectively brought your own sin to the cross and right. left it there, then your sin, your guilt, will guide your parenting instead of God's law, which is a description of life, right? Instead of God's wisdom, um, your your guilt will make decisions on how you parent for you, right? And so, and I, it's the same with society. It's the same with parenting. It's the same with you know that that when your sin is taken away it ceases to be a fear of sin that guides us um, where you try to we, um, over and over. I see people just trying to, they know what they don't want to happen. Right. And right. So they know what they're avoiding, but they don't know. They haven't dug it in and said, what is it? What is, what life do I actually want? Yeah. Right? What, how do I want things to be positively? They know what they don't want to happen. So, so you've been, so that, you've been you know, digging into the law though. No, but that's, you know, that's, you know, it's funny you turn, I'm, oh, this is going to be a crazy conversation because you're just turning it so many different ways. No, you're right. Because that's my problem with people who are opposed to Christian nationalism. I, I do a lot of talking in opposition to Christian nationalism. Um, and we talk about it a lot. Now, I, I think I want to define, like, there's two different camps. There's people who are using the mm -hmm. word. And there's people who um, have no idea what nationalism really is. And there's other people who are like, I think who are theonomists who are like, you know what? These people don't mean nationalism. And so I'm going to come in and kind of help them understand yeah. what they're. But since this is the term currently used, we're going to we're going to be subversive in this. Right. Um, and right. then there's people who I think really are nationalists, who really are nationalists and are Christians and are using that term. And they mean nationalism for right. real. <laughs> Right. You know, but my problem is the people who are in opposition to Christian nationalists who are um, or Christian nationalism traditionally, who I think I would agree with uh, when it comes time for them to lay forth. Then what's the alternative between full on trans and Christian nationalism proper? What is it? And they're like, ah, you know, I don't really know. It's just I don't know. Yeah. Just 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 faithfulness. Like the whole watching the whole thing come to head with G3. That was a problem I had was like, I think G3 was making some great comments about the problem of nationalism. I think there's a valid. Now, when you start talking to the guys who claim to be Christian nationalists and they're like, well, yeah, we're not 
nationalism proper, but what we're using is we're talking about a nation run by God, civil majesties must submit to Christ. And it's like, well, that's pretty much theonomy as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> right? Um, then there was like, there wasn't really a problem there and there wasn't, wasn't a way forward either on like, what is, what is then it look like for a nation in repentance? Should a nation actually come to repentance? You know, what does that even look like? What does it look like for when you, when you, you know, there wasn't ever a, this is what I love about the and at least the guys who are theonomic Christian nationalists, right? When you ask them about law, when you ask them about how a nation should run, they have answers all the way yeah. down to the most minutia of points, right? Ask other people who are in opposition to Christian nationalism. So do you think the police should pull people over? <laughs> Ask them, do you think we should have prisons? Right. Ask them the questions that falls out their biblical theology and find out where they land at. Because it's, fun, it's one thing to say, oh, hey, I just believe we should live faithful. Well, what does faithfulness look like when it applied? Oh, God's law applied to the state. Okay, that's what faithfulness looks like. Hey, King, you aren't honoring God when it comes to thou shall not steal. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. And um and, and, and this is where and, and in those situations, you get it's it's not even the difference between so what uh, like if if you have let's say somebody that says that the law taken through you know taken through the death and resurrection of the cross becomes wisdom um that trains trains our rulers to rule wisely right and then they apply it in their situation right that it's not a direct one-to-one -one correlation at this point at that point it both those two positions are this close and then the position on the other side is way over here yeah and and you realize like, oh, they're talking something completely different from the historical norm, right? So, because I think there are some theonomists that as, as I've talked to them, you think, well, you're outside the historical norm, but you're outside like this far. Right. This direction. Am, am I one of those guys? Am I like outside the historical norm? <laughs> no. like, just that much? I can see if I would be. <laughs> well, well, no, I, like what, but, but you, you know, guys that are like, um, hey, let's bring back stoning. Right. I, I want to yeah. bring back I want to bring back stoning. Um I just want to put gunpowder behind it. Is that <laughs> <But> wrong? <laughs> if I was put it like but if people that are like, hey, if I was put in charge and um I would bring back stoning and that would begin putting things right. You know, right, right, right. That's outside the norm because that's not historic that's that's not a historic view of the use of the law for the civil magistrates. The law having no use for civil magistrates, though, is so far outside the norm that you're actually almost talking like in a different language. Right. Mm. So disagreeing on what use the law has for the civil magistrates is is a small difference. Saying the law has no use for civil magistrates is that's that's completely outside the historic norm and understanding of the scriptures. Right. Mm. We the the church has always gone to the civil magistrates and tried to convert them. Period. Right. We we that's we do that. We go to the, we mm. go to the civil magistrate and tell them they have a king that they need to bow down to. That I think every Christian should agree on. 
when you get into the details, you might say like, oh, we've got a disagreement about how the law will then apply and how directly it applies and does it need to go through the cross first and is does it become uh, uh, does it transform the magistrates who then transform the law or do you does it apply directly the way it does you know, he, he, all of those questions are secondary um, if I'll... the other option is it doesn't apply to the civil magistrate. I'm going to define it like this. All those things you're talking about are differences in type of in the type of theonomic camp. Th okay. That's how I want to define it. You're, it was just claim the center. Yeah, that, I'm, just, I'm claiming that. the center on that because <laughs> we're not questioning um, whether or not it should. We're questioning how. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, and and so, that's why, <clears throat> even though you know I read theonomists often and think that's not. You're not. I don't think you're getting. I don't think you ha, are reading the text into the situation properly. Mm. And and I and and you think so. I and it happens often enough that you start thinking. Well, I, maybe I'm not a theonomist. But then you meet people that say, "Oh yeah, it doesn't apply." You're like, "Well, no, 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 no." <laughs> maybe I am. Like I want to be having the conversation about how does the text apply. And I think you're right. Theonomists have been the only ones that have been having that conversation. That used to be a normal conversation within historic Protestantism, within the um, within pre-high medieval Roman Catholicism, right? It gets wonky in the high medieval era. But before that, um, you, you have those kinds of conversations. Um, but now, I don't know. I don't understand how you could say... Well, the civil magistrate doesn't need to submit to the scriptures. Yeah, that's a... So, you were talking earlier. I think this all, all comes in and ties in in Spencer. Um, mm -hmm. But when you were talking earlier about, you know, why do we put... Um, you said that we put our faith in our feelings. And if everybody knows that feelings are arbitrary and that they switch and change up so much, why is the feelings a safe place for us to find faith in? Well, a big part of that I think is that we don't, we don't believe in objective. We don't believe in an objective reality outside of ourselves. So we, I think we really do. I mean, I, um, I just mm. watched uh, What is a Woman. Did we talk about this last week? And now I can't remember. I don't think so, no. What day? Because I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I did not know really, that, actually. It's, yeah, it's really good. We yeah. um, a group of uh, There's a group of men from a bunch of different churches that get together and do things here in Spokane. And so I went with a group, group of guys. I think there were six different churches represented at this. It was just a showing. There's about 20 guys there. And took one of my sons and went and watched it and it's really well done. Um, it was really good. The, what was so amazing was the number of times that he said, what is a woman? And somebody responded, a woman is who anyone who identifies as a woman. And he said, but what are they identifying as? And they went blank. Like, what are they identifying as a woman? Was it, no, but I'm, that's what I'm asking. What is a woman? anyone who identifies as a woman what are they identifying as like they it was like they couldn't it was like a judicial blindness they could not understand 
Um, and I and I think it's because the they they don't believe in objective reality out there. We give meaning to everything from our mind. Our mind actually so things don't have a nature, things don't have a shape, things 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 have a physical shape but they don't have a a metaphysical shape. We give that to it through our mind. Um old the older view of that was that all of our minds are connected in the giving of it through some sort of um I mean there's dif- disagreements on what it is but through society or through history or through um the the uh the universal unconsciousness or uh universal consciousness I mean right like all these different things hold humanity together in order to, so that humanity as a whole gives shape to things language language does it um our stories do it you know, whatever it is we actually don't believe in the connections that the connections now between people are real anymore those have all been dissolved and they're all now seen as power power structures coercive power and this is why critical theory needs to be opposed so significantly that it can't be used as a tool quote unquote is because it's a view that every relationship is a power structure and that which means if somebody has some then they've taken it from somebody else right that there's you can't and um and if that's the case then there then there's no longer uh any real connection between people that's why you can only feel your connection mm. right? i mean so in the 90s in the early 2000s this is why the found family movie found family theme became so predominant right is because people stopped believing in the real connection with their real family that their their connection with their family was a real connection it's only biological that's not a real thing right I- anymore so I think people actually are experiencing the world for the most part as billiard balls that might be in the same space and the, you know on the same table as some other people but they don't there's no real connection they don't um experience the world like they're the elbow of the body of Christ and they're truly connected they don't experience their own the um they don't experience their political civic life like they are a part of the body politic connected mm. to one another they don't experience you know um they don't experience their own family life like they're connected because they um you, the um uh, they don't go through the normal connecting rituals anymore um i mean there's the, can you can you think of any connective tissue ritual connective tissue anything covenant connective tissue that is still universal in america i can't i've tried a number of times now even marriage is gone what about holidays yeah may i mean you might get christmas i guess fourth of july 
No, but even Fourth of July, people experience it different, do things different. I don't, you don't. I mean, when I was growing up, Fourth of July was something everybody went downtown for. Mm. The whole city, we went downtown as a city, and we experienced it together. Coeur d'Alene went downtown as as a city; they experienced it together. We don't even do that anymore. A lot of our fireworks shows have been shut down. Well, we um, experienced it together in the sky in the neighborhood. Like, that was our experience together. It was all right. Who's going to fourth it up more, right? And yeah, you know, it was back and forth, and it was um, a song or dance in the community. Um, but it was something that you know. I don't know if you remember during COVID, but I think it was actually California where it's illegal to pop fireworks. Somebody did a drone shot, and the drone went over. That's a, a, like you could see it from a distance, but it was like oh, like blocks and blocks were just lighting up fireworks together, just in a, in a place where they said you can't hang out with yeah. each other, and and they still denied. It. And it was like, oh, there's still a remnant here that's willing to say no. But I think that you know, outside of I think you're at Christmas and Fourth of July, uh, Memorial Day is kind of falling off now. Uh, it mm-hmm. used to be a, a a moment there when I was younger, but and Christmas I, I re- is such a battle for it. I remember whole groups of adults at Riverfront Park in Spokane while the fireworks went off and they played Proud to be an American over the loudspeakers. Whole groups of adults crying together because mm. they were proud to be Americans. Right. You know, this was like 84, 85 <laughs> when you were still allowed to be yeah. proud to be an American. Right now, um, every attempt I I don't think that that connective tissue is still alive. I think it's rotting away. Mm. You know, I'm surprised that you. I'm surprised, and so uh, this goes back to so the reason that there's not there's no real covenantal real connections there, and so the only thing that people find connection through is through emotion, through emotions, yeah. And okay. so, um, and, um. What about the, the, the time they feel connected is through orgasm. I mean, I think that's the other thing is that the reason that people, when they say you can't deny me this, it's because it's the only time they feel connected to reality. Um, uh, it's, it's and hmm. uh, and I think it's, I think that's a through, through God's intention, but there's a, there's a, a r- right way. Um, to search that out and a wrong way to search that out. Um, and there, there's a way to search it out that leads to less and less fulfillment and a way to search it out that leads to more and more fulfillment. Um, is that so, kind of, is that kind of like the reflex of a belly laugh though? Is, is orgasm is the same way? It's like, you can't deny yeah. the reality of that. And right. it's I think that so. you're not controlling necessarily. And so right. it, it, you, it's, it's, T- more tangible than anything you you've ever had and so this is like a belly life you can't control it it just happens and you're like okay that's reality it's yeah. a touch point it is it's a touch point and i mean i think i think you get something similar with you know responses to music responses to um i, I mean i think a good when when like when stranger things well, everybody's watching it everybody wants to talk about it you had something i think like that with marvel where the stories were you you were responding to the stories in a particular way because they were well told and then 
it connected you with your neighbors. Man, when I, we moved down to the Bay area, the year they drafted Steph Curry and they went, the the golden state warriors went from the second worst team in the league to, you know, the, the best record in history. And that year was the year I finally met all my neighbors because when a warriors game would end, everybody would walk outside to talk to one another that season because it was a, a it was an experience that the community was having together with its sports team i had neighbors that i'd never seen before but everybody every tv was on watching those games especially when they were getting closer and closer to beating the record um and w- actually when they first were watched when they came out the gate and they won however many in a row and nobody had ever done that before every one of those games when they would make, extend the record further and further and everybody would walk out of the neighborhood and start talking about it. Oh my gosh, did you see the game? Oh, nice to meet you. I'm Jason. We live right there. You live here. Um, there was a communal experience to that sports team. Um, they didn't win that, a championship that year, did they? They didn't. No. Uh, uh, best yeah. record ever, but they didn't win a championship. <laughs> I don't think Jordan no. did that. I'm pretty sure when he had the best record, they won championships. I'm just saying. It's true. They saying. also didn't have refs kicking players out for no oh, reason. blame it on the refs blame it on the refs oh i know i'm i'm not i'm stating a, a straight fact right <laughs> that because you know you know what else jordan never did was go to the podium afterwards and try to shame the refs into getting rid of somebody on the other team hey hey <laughs> hey i'm just saying history won't remember any of those things <laughs> it's it's true it's true. History <laughs> won't remember it. Um, we can agree that Jordan was the greatest individual player ever and that the Golden State Warriors that year were the greatest team ever. So we can just put those two things. I can't ever say that. Because history won't remember that Jordan didn't w- get as many wins. But um, it's okay. He's He doesn't have to be the greatest shooter of all time to be the greatest player of all time. Greatest shooter of all time is... A different thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who won't have the title goat. <clears throat> <laughs> I'm just saying, who, you know. Oh yeah. Oh no. So I don't think Steph Curry is the greatest player of all time, but there's no doubt he's the greatest shooter that's ever lived. I think that's fair. Yeah, that is fair. That's fair. I, I'll give him that. But you know, and, it could. Yeah. The game. The game is forever changed because of each of them. Both of them. Um, touch the game in such a way that it will never be the same. Yeah, but one desperately needed the other because had he not had him, he wouldn't have a great coach to teach him. So I'm just saying, like, you know. That's true. It's it's, it's necessary. I do like the the interview when Steve Kerr said, he said, which of the teams would win? He said, oh, we would definitely beat us. <laughs> Steve, Steve. He, he's like, they're like which is which and he's like yeah exactly yeah, you'll have to I'll let you that figure that out, out. Yeah. <laughs> so before our friendship ends um <laughs> uh you, the i want to touch this and then i want to get into um cupid and what and yeah. c.s lewis where he starts off at, with images of uh spencer's images of life but you said that Christians don't have a good answer for my love is just like yours. What is the answer for that question or that statement? I, I, I think that the, the, that 
centrally the answer is um that covenant that that the covenant love um is love between a covenant head and a covenant subject and we we have lost Oof. our own understanding oh we don't even want to talk of, like that what right we don't even want to talk like that but that's a beautiful kind of love that you actually don't get um because it because it's because each person has to sacrifice literally sacrifice themselves for the other person in that relationship the you um so so you can say well like look i give stuff up but that's different than saying i'm taking on an, an, a particular office within a covenant i have to lose myself to this office in order to to live it well i actually have to die to myself to live out this office well um okay so so that brings up okay hold that thought don't go anywhere with that but then add this to it though so then what in the world because i think when when people now this is kind of unfortunately the complementarian movement has helped in a negative way with this because mm -hmm. they've made everybody like this there yep. isn't a hierarchy to this ultimately right it's it, it's said like it is but then a lot of the way times we think of marriage is like um there isn't a subject and there isn't uh yeah most complementarians i know reject the word hierarchy uh and so so i i have been oh i i haven't i don't really i can i can you can i say this out loud I but you're not asking like, me because you know I, say I don't yes. like I know I know <laughs> I don't like the I don't like complementarianism right we talked about that a little bit but but it's not because I I think the complementarians are trying to follow the scriptures with within a false cosmology or within the world's cosmology so I think complementarianism is worldliness. Mm. You got to work that um, out. So worldliness is when we receive our, um, we receive our uh, orders or our purpose or um, from the world, right? When we are trying to accomplish, when the, when the, we let the world tell us what it is we're trying to accomplish. Mm. The worldliness that's obvious is like, oh, this, I'm, a drunk because I think that at the bottom of the bottle, I'm going to find satisfaction. Right. Um, I, you know, I go out and I party and I sleep around, right. That's a, that's a form of worldliness that says that in pleasure is, is ultimate fulfillment. But there's another form of worldliness. That's a little bit, that's harder to, um, to, to identify. And that's when we take our orders from the world, but then we use, Jesus to try and fulfill the world's purposes for us. Right. So the world's purposes um, the, for marriage are that, um, that, that marriage gives us the satisfaction, the pleasure that gives us ultimate satisfaction. Mm. God's purposes for marriage are not, are, is not primarily our pleasure primary purpose for marriage is to accomplish the um the mission 
that God gave us in the garden and to image God into creation, right? So um, to be the the sub sub regent or vice regent, I think is uh, is a I've heard it put that way. I think that's a helpful way to think about it, right? Is so mankind images God to creation and in order to fulfill the mission that God gave us at the beginning, which is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, right? Take dominion. That's what marriage is for. Um, and it so happens that when we use marriage the way God told us to, it also is the most fulfilling you know, one of the most fulfilling things that you'll find. Right. right? So it's not that the, but the fulfillment is not the point. It's the a secondary result of. Yeah, the fulfillment is, is the result of, uh, of using something for its proper end. Right. I mean, it's, um, you know, if you think of it like, uh, um, I would, I would think of it along the lines of something like, um, you know, when you're cooking bacon, bacon smells really good. If you got it in your head that the smell of cooking bacon was the point of bacon, right? Um, then you would be cooking bacon all day long and then tossing out the, <laughs> the bacon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The bacon is not primarily for the smell. The smell is a result of using bacon for what it should be used for, which is you cook it and you put it in a BLT or you put it on a burger, right? You, you um, eat it with the, with pancakes. There's, um, there's lots of good ways to fulfill the ultimate purpose of bacon. Um, but smell is a byproduct, right? Of the proper use of bacon. The, the joy in marriage is a byproduct of the, um, the proper use of marriage mm. and even saying something like that sounds heretical because it is heretical in modernism, right? Because personal pleasure is the ultimate measure of, uh, uh, of if we're using something properly, but that's, that's the world's that that's the world giving us um what something is for and then us trying to use jesus to say well we can do that uh, jesus can help us accomplish the world's goals for us and i think complementarianism in its present state has fallen into that right um you know the the modest is hottest type of complementarianism that you uh, run into but the problem is most of the folks that are trying to be complementarians are, are actually trying to be faithful. And so that's why it's hard to say, I don't, I think complementarianism is a mistake um, because I actually think that a covenantal hierarchical view of, of marriage or a covenantal hierarchical, the covenantal hierarchical reality of marriage, right? It's not a view that we bring to marriage and impose. It's the reality, right? That embracing the reality of a covenantal hierarchical, um, that, that marriage is covenantal and hierarchical, um, does actually lead to the most joy, but it's not the, 
but it, what it actually primarily leads to is um, effectiveness on the mission that God has given us, right? And the mission is have children and raise them to love the Lord, take dominion. You forgot over... baptism in between there. <laughs> That's, can we just assume it? Yeah. No, I, I, no, I, no. Okay. No. I can't anymore. You right? just got them talking about complementarianism. Don't assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I think it within, it, it actually makes absolute perfect sense within a covenantal understanding, mm-hmm. right? That, that our relationship to our children is not simply biological. It's, it is also covenantal, right? That they are born, um, they they are born, and that gives us, you know, through through the covenantal relationship, um, through the covenant love, they're born, and then their relationship to us is covenantal and hierarchical, um, and God has already claimed them because He has because we're in covenant with him as a family, that means anything that, you know, it's, it's just like if, if you work for Disney, anything you create on their computers is theirs, (laughs) right? They own (laughs) anything, anything created on our, on through this hardware um, is God's because God, God's in covenant with us. (laughs) That was good, Jason. That was real good. (laughs) That was a corporate, very, very poetic. It was a corporate analogy. Yeah, it's um, poetic. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, the baptism—it's it, nonsensical to not baptize your children in that, if we are covenantally, corporately, hierarchically, um, in relationship with God, right? As as a family. <laughs> And but this is where, this is where some of that difference comes in because I, um, a lot of Baptists would say a a family can't be Christian, a husband can be Christian and a wife can be Christian, but the family unit, as a is not itself a Christian thing entity yeah entity right because only individuals can be Christians but that is already buying into the anti-covenantal nature that modernism. Well, brings. I think some of it's even worse than that. I think there's ones that are saying that are then still coming in and saying, but the people that are in part of the family can't be covenantal. Right? Like that's the other side of it. Cause they, you have, you have some now, which is really interesting that are starting to, because I really think the social justice movement has made people think far deeper about their theology, covenantal mm-hmm. theology and, how it applies all the way out to the civil magistrate. And right. so, but you got a lot of people now who are starting to hold to that. The family is a covenant, like is, is right. a, you know, um, well, and this, and, and like, I, I have Baptist friends that we don't actually disagree on this. We disagree right. about the application and the right. timing, right. but we don't disagree that our kids are claimed by God. And, and I, and at that point I'm like, you know, I, just you know, give it a generation, and your kids will be baptizing your grandkids, and we're right. good. I'm not, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, and they're they're saying the same thing about me, right? They give it a generation, and the the timing will switch for you. And um, but the we're both raising our work? kids by faith. <laughs> it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. but we're both raising our kids by faith because this is, I think, that's the at the heart of it. Covenants are kept by faith, 
if we don't have a covenant relationship with our kids, if our family's not a covenant relationship, then it's going to be by works. Because covenant, our covenants are kept by faith. Um, if God has promises for our kids, then we can raise our kids by faith. If we don't have promises for our kids, then it comes down to works. Or it comes down to something arbitrary. Um, it, it, and, um, you know, that that's not biblical. So then, so then back to the original question, which is, so what is the answer for my love is just like yours? Well, covenantal love requires a hierarchical structure. Yeah. That, so that uh, our love is, you have to lose yourself to love well. You have to die to yourself to love well. You can, uh, and uh, like, and literally in order to take on, you know, to take on the office of husband, you have to die to yourself to take on um, the office of wife. You have to die to yourself and say the mission that God has, has um, so the, uh, you know, a wife says, I am going to give up uh, the, I, I am going to take on my husband's wife. Uh, my, I'm going to take on my husband's mission as my own. I'm going to submit submission means coming under the mission of another. I'm going to take on my husband's mission as my own. And that's all a gift that she gives to a man, to her, to her husband. And it it remains a gift throughout her entire life, right? Anything she does to help on the mission is a gift that she is giving to her husband. You keep saying this word, she. We, we don't do she. <laughs> There's not a she here. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That, I mean, because honestly, that's what the, there's if you, you're you, now you're talking and we'll talk about I'm surprised you actually uh, I didn't I'm not surprised that you liked what is a woman, but I thought you would have in my head. There's a critique of what is a woman that I thought you would have that fits into the modernistic ideology. Um, and so I, I, I don't want to talk about it yet. I'll talk about it later. Yeah. But but if you're talking to somebody that says our love is just like your love because love is love. They're not going to buy into any of the categories you're setting up in a hierarchy. He, him, her, hers, she. That that's not how their love works. It works right. because of people who share these emotions. Right, and but uh, but the um we have overcome a a Machiavellian worldview before. Because the Roman Empire um, had this, a similar sort of understanding, and the Greeks did as well, right? There was tons of pedophilia, um, you know, Plato, um, uh, buggered. I don't know. I don't know how to say it, the, his students, <laughs> um, as and it was part of their training. Uh, uh, the homosexual love between an adult male and a child and a male mm. child was considered more um, philosophical because there was no possibility of it creating more matter. Um, mm. So it was like, that's how Gnostic um, the cert the understanding philosophically was. Uh, and it was Machiavellian in that the, the people with the power shaped reality, right? Uh, we, the church overcame that by living out beautiful, loving marriages 
and having children and raising them, right? Because you started to get the, you started to see that the, that the uh, love of death was uglier than the love of life. The love of death that you had um, in the Roman empire was uglier than the love of life, which was much more beautiful that you had within the church. So much so that you have, people that they hear oh my gosh over there they they marry they intermarry with the brothers and sisters because they called one another brother and sister and then they would get married um they intermarry within the brother within brothers and sisters and they are cannibals because they eat flesh and drink wine um because of the way that they talked about the lord's supper um and so people would visit in order to see this crazy cult and then they would see how much they loved one another, how much the children were taken care how well the children were taken care of, how uh, the way that the marriages were faithful and they would be converted. And I've seen this happen in, in our lifetime. And, you know, uh, we had a woman visit our church who said none of it made any sense to her, but she saw how much the children loved their parents. And she said, I've got to come back and figure out how that happens right that the children um are sitting in church and they're the parents and the children are talking to each other and they love one another and uh they how gentle and kind the fathers were with their kids and she said i've got to come back and see that again um that i've never seen that anywhere and she ended up converted and baptized and but it was the beauty of the families that s- struck her this and that's been the way that the that the church has overcome um this sort of machiavellian understanding of uh, of advancement you know uh machiavellian understanding of quote unquote love so on the on the one on one debate you just lose that one and plan on just culturally living it out in such a way that it's you it's visible so that people can that's see how, it, but that's how you that's how you win culturally the in the one-on-one debate i mean you you can win that debate just by having people for dinner right um but you also i think you win the debate by saying by by knowing here's what reality is and describing it to people mm. right because um you don't and there will be people that just can't make heads or tails because as soon as you say, um, like I, I've, I, I used to try and come up with other words besides head and subject, but then I was like, what is that? That's what the Bible uses, right? The, um, the wife is subject to her husband, right? That that's a covenant that now that's a covenant term. So we do need to have our covenant theology to understand that because it's, um, it's not a strength because we it's not a strength and weakness term. We tend to think in terms of right, right, strength, strength and weakness. Um, sub, uh, subjection and coercion is how we think of everything. And so, but um, covenant is voluntary is voluntary submission. That's voluntary mutual submission in the terms of marriage because a husband, um, because the wife is the head of her husband's body. Right, she has covenant authority over how he uses his body. He doesn't get to go off and sleep with anybody he wants. 
um, his body is hers. He and um, if if she, he doesn't get to you know deny her um, s- her sexual advances, uh, the because his body is hers, right? You've got um, except for for an agreed upon time, you know, Corinthians. It's it's not a coercive relationship. The head the head subject relationship is not a coercive relationship, right? It's a voluntary relationship that's entered into, it, and it involves vows, public vows that the community gets to hold you to. Um, there isn't the uh, permission to use coercive force. Um, it's it's not granted in that relationship. It's um, it's granted in a. a parent-child relationship it's granted in a civil relationship but it's not granted in a marriage relationship so there's all sorts of limitations put on it um uh but it is a relationship that has a particular end in mind which is taking dominion gardening your plot um and having children that are raised up to go take another plot and take dominion of another of the next plot, right? So it it has a a telos, um, and then it has limitations. So, but being familiar with all that, and then loving it, and then mm. just telling people about it is our argument, right? Because it's good news. Hey, guess what? The your the purpose of your marriage is not um see you it is not uh people that go into marriage thinking that marriage is going to fulfill them will empty their marriage of meaning mm. they will leave a shell yeah of their their marriage will end up a shell because they're trying to suck out of it what isn't in there right right and so they'll empty it right they'll um, mine it absolutely they'll, they'll, for yeah. something else that, and they miss all the things that yeah yeah, and you see, you know, um, you see, I call it gram- grandma got a gr- grandma got a new tattoo syndrome, right? Where you see some woman in her fifties, late forties, her kids are moving out, and her marriage, in her her husband has been trying to, he has been sucking her dry of meaning throughout her life, and so she feels invisible, like a shell of herself. And her as her kid, but but she's been loving her kids, and so then her kids start moving away, and she has to do something to remind everybody that she exists. She has to do something to convince herself that she's not a ghost. She has to do so, and so she starts doing something crazy, or she gets plastic surgery, or a tattoo, or and you think, where'd that come from? What's going on? Well, it's years of a of trying to get out of get get something out of marriage that it's not designed to give. And so then it's empty. And so you've got to do something to, to prove that you still exist, that you're still there, that you're not um, a ghost. So um, how does Edmund Spencer apply in all of this? And Lewis's introduction to with um, Cupid, because yeah. you talked about that earlier, the false Cupid. You've got the false Cupid and the, the real Cupid. So the false Cupid is the one is um, so it, basically there's the um, Cupid is the daughter is the son of Venus um, and 
he's a you know a, a god or a demigod you know um i mean he he's a small g god in the in the in ovid and in um uh uh oh in the odyssey where else does he show up he shows up um in hesiod and he's he is um got arrows that he and and so he he has a blindfold but he's got arrows and he shoots people and when you get struck by one of his arrows then you fall in love right um but he the the question of whether he's a good guy or a bad guy is always on the table and everybody always is arguing so um because love is such you know the the falling in love is such a strange and mysterious thing um, that pe- that people have been wrestling with it philosophically and mythologically all throughout. I mean, in fact, it's one of the things that Solomon even says, there are certain things that I have not been able to make sense of. And one of them is the way of a young man with a young maid, right? <laughs> like they, the who falls in love with whom is so strange and mysterious um, that it's uh, and, and unpredictable that even Solomon says, I don't know. That's a mystery beyond me. Well, um, the uh, the character, so the character of Cupid then becomes um, a, a a sometimes he's a good guy and sometimes he's a bad guy in ancient literature. What you have in Spencer is you've got the real Cupid and then the the uh, the I- the idol Cupid. When you mm. turn love into an idol. He's got a whole allegorical sto- story about what happens when you turn love into an idol. And um, because really then love turns into the fulfillment of your physical or fleshly desires. Stop it. Wait, wait. You mean to tell me that we just happened to... Okay, I'm looking at the show right now. We didn't plan on... I, I was just bringing up the old conversation we were having about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, and like that just walks right into this, right into this exactly, right. <laughs> so, and that's what I'm saying is Edmund Spencer, he he actually, um, I think he comes along and answers exactly our issues, but it's like stepping into an alien world. Whoa. Be- <laughs> okay, I'm putting so, it all together in my head right now. <laughs> uh, go ahead, keep going. So, what happens when we turn it? In, in, into an idol um, is we mistake the um, fleshly desires. Uh, we the the fleshly desires they they um, you know if you think of it like you're walking down the woods and you've got these optional paths. Um, fleshly desires begin as a um, w- when when fleshly desires are removed from covenant. Uh, requirements, covenant vows. Mm. Those paths lead to quicksand. Quicksand lead to death. Lead to monsters. Lead to spiders. You know that sort of thing. Um, giant spiders. Uh, whereas when the when our fleshly desires are joined to covenant vows, mm. and um, they lead to to palaces. Uh, um, you know, great feasts, those sorts of things, right? So wonderful societies, wonderful societies, you beautiful things um, uh, that you really get. I, I just dropped my book, just fell off my 
Yeah. My book fell off my desk. So, but um, there's a uh, let me see if I can. Are you uh, looking five. for the 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 what? stanza, or are you looking for like chapter one and? Well, um, I'm, I was I was trying to think of. Okay, you know what? Now I'm starting to understand why you're saying Spencer is important, but we have to get into the world of Spencer. To, yeah, because it's such a foreign. So the space trilogy is really is. Lewis trying to get people to understand what Spencer is doing. Yes. So the first space trilogy is about how we, the first of, so because the second space trilogy is all about Venus and the false Cupid. And the, the, so the second space trilogy is about this exact problem. The first space trilogy is about how to step into an alien world that is really just a history earlier than your own, right? How do you step into a diff? Um, you remember we talked about a world ends when its metaphor has died. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the world of Spencer is gone because all of the metaphors are dead. What does it look like though, to step into that world? Well, that's what out of the silent planet is about is, stepping into an alien culture that turns out to be your culture in a previous age <laughs> mm. uh, with a different a, metaphor a, with a different, yeah. So it's got all different metaphors, all different desires, all, you know, so there's this entire conversation between um, ransom and the, the Harasa, one of the Harasa about how they have um, they get married and then they have sex one time and have children, and then they write poems about about it the rest of their lives, right? Instead of repeating the act over and over, they oh, wow. def- they work to strengthen their memory over and over, so that their memory of it becomes more pleasurable than, than actually doing it. The the actual yeah. So, um, <laughs> which is a poet's mindset, right? So he's t- trying to see what is a poet people. Right, the Anglo-Saxons were poet people, and we are not. What is that? Um, what is it that? Uh, why is it that a poem is considered such a pleasurable thing to them? Right, because they have memories that we don't have. We don't strengthen our memories. I mean, I'm constantly like, oh man, what is the name of this or the name of that? Or I can't remember. You know, all sorts of things. Oh, there are certain people, right? So we don't exercise our memory which means we don't have um there isn't an internal strength there isn't an internal pleasure that we can retreat to because we don't have that uh, uh memories like they did no this it's is, in our cell phone yeah exactly right there um, it's external what uh one one of the reasons that, i mean I, there's there's lots of reasons that i think um that uh the Andy Dufresne is a um is a great character, right? Um it, from the Shawshank Redemption. But one of them, one of the best moments, you know, is when he locks himself in and puts the opera on and it stops everything in the whole prison. They stop it and everyone stops and listens to the opera. And 
you know, it's this the beauty of it, that that moment. And then he gets put in to um solitary confinement. And when he comes out, they say, Man, that must have been awful. And he says, No, I was able to bring Mozart with me. Because he had it because because it was in his memory. What would we bring with us if we were put in a solitary confinement? Right? Wow. We don't right? We don't have we don't purposefully exercise our memories um well if we were to then meet a people who did um they would feel alien to us right they exercise their memory they purposefully fill it with good things beautiful things um true things and then so you've got something like you know um boethius uh he he's got the consolation of philosophy. He was put in solitary confinement and he used it, used the time to develop the consolate, uh, you know, an entire tractate on how um, the history of philosophy can console you in the midst of suffering <laughs> because he had it all memorized, right? He had worked it into his memory. Wow. We don't, we don't really do that anymore. We don't exercise our memory. So, so you have, the, so the first people he meet are the Kharasa who have this whole different poetic understanding of what they value. And at the center of it is they value their personal memories and they value the corporate memory of people. And then a monster shows up and they all get really excited because they, they all spend their lives hoping to kill a dragon. <laughs> right. Is <laughs> amazing and so then they all get to go out on this dragon hunt together and he is completely thrown off like you don't this isn't some this isn't the way we think anymore that you hear that there's a dragon coming and everybody gets excited nope they don't get afraid they get excited they've been trading their whole lives to kill a dragon right and it's this amazing moment um within the book uh where you get to feel you feel with them what it would be like to spend your life hoping to kill a dragon and then getting a, and then a dragon shows up in town, right? Everybody, uh, we, but that's something that we, that fiction, it exercise, it fiction trains our imagination and fiction trains our affections toward what good fiction towards wanting what's good and what's right. Well, the second book, then he goes to Venus and, um, you have uh, Satan, you know, a Satan character, that, the unman shows up to as the false Cupid, right? The, the, the false Cupid shows up trying to um, tempt away. And, and we know that the, uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is the dragon that's supposed to guard um, the, that is supposed to guard the, the woman at the base of every there's a dragon at the base of all these trees that are supposed to to guard the chastity of women um and because he's because the false cupid um has shown up in the form of the the form that he's shown up in he's able to navigate his way past all of the dragons that are supposed to protect the chastity of the this the eve of venus um and and then he uses all of the arguments that a, that the false cupid uses to convince us to ignore the hierarchical nature of reality 
mm. and do our own thing, right? To to follow ourselves rather than lean in to uh, lean into the office that God has given us, right? And it's it's an amazing, it's an amazing amazing book, um, but it's, I mean, and then until we have faces is literally about Cupid and psyche. I mean, so it, this is a theme throughout his whole life. So in his, in the, the allegory of love, there's a whole section on Cupid all the way to the last thing that he wrote this book. There's a whole section on Cupid. This is at the center of Lewis's thought is how can love, how can romantic love lead us away from God or towards God, mm-hmm. depending on whether we idolize it or it submits to reality. Is it going to submit to Christ, submit to reality, submit to the way God made the world? Or are we going to try and use it to escape um, the way God made the world or reformat um, the the world according to our own desires? And it all comes down to really who who we believe to be in charge. Did God create a world that we submit to? Or... Do we create the world after our own desires? And that, it, I mean, so, that's what I mean. It's such a fundamentally different understanding that when our neighbor comes to us and they say, well, love is love, right? And you say, is it submitting to reality or not? Right. Mm. Love, the love between a man and a woman. is not or the love between two people if it is not if we are not fulfilled in god we will destroy a person we try to find fulfillment in we will we will be that vampire that removes life from them because we're trying to get life right we're trying to you know, you know it's if we about- if we show up fulfilled then we will have plenty of overflowing life to pour into a person and we will find the relationships fulfilling you know if we're already in- fulfilled in god you, you know what's really interesting about that is that's exactly the answer to everything everywhere all at once is because they weren't fulfilled in god so she destroyed everything everything she touched it was tragic and 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 even though that they tried to resolve it, there was just like there's no resolving it. There was no real resolve because nothing was actually um that 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 thirst wasn't satisfied. They just wanted to act like it was. But that's that's exactly what happened. So they got that part right. <laughs> right. And that but that's the thing is I th- the modern world it, it simultaneously doesn't believe that you can find fulfillment. And then it promises fulfillment everywhere. <laughs> then it went, went and saw the new ah. went and saw the new Wes Anderson movie yesterday with Cedric, with my oldest son. Um, and we had a ton of fun afterwards talking about it. And um, but it's Wes Anderson. It's like he's got one eye wide open because it's all about if space is space how can we 
pretend that we're going to find individual fulfillment here if we're just a tiny rock floating through mostly nothingness Mm. (laughs) like how can we who who do we think we are that we're going to somehow individually wrestle ultimate meaning out of this sort of universe it's it's really it's really really poignant um whether or not i mean if if you get a chance to watch it he tries to give an answer it's really fascinating watching him try to give an answer um <laughs> i mean it's because it, it's like it's like an the opposite of what we've been talking about right because it's he's with he's drawing from the modernist cosmology the reality that if that's true none of this means anything mm. and so our experience of meaninglessness is actually true if that if this is the case and so then he but then he tries to give an answer i don't want to spoil it because i want you to watch it so we can talk I'm, about it but i'm gonna check it it's starting to you know this whole talk now getting into uh, Edmund Spencer and then C.S. Lewis being the gateway drug, it makes me feel like Su- Lewis is probably one of the most influential characters of the last hundred years. That the most hands yeah. down. I think wow, most yeah. He's he's gonna be my I so I think that he he will be something along the lines of what Calvin is for the last five hundred years. Mm. I think Lewis is going to be somewhere along those lines for the next 500 years. So, okay. I haven't finished this chapter yet. Chapter one. So I'm going to go through here, but it's, so. Wow. That really just hit right. Everything that we just got done talking about with everything, everywhere, all at once in the spider verse. That was amazing. I had no idea. You know, what's crazy is I hadn't read this chapter yet. So I didn't know that that was going to go that way. I, I just assumed you were setting this up really well because I, I ain't that like, good. That's a perfect setup. Way to go! I ain't that good. <laughs> I ain't that good. I mean, I'm pretty cool, but I ain't that good. That was that's that was on that was on God for real. <laughs> um, I love I I so I love what he how he's talking about the relationship between Venus and Mars. So Mars, the God of war and Venus, the goddess of love um, and how um, through Christ's influence, war is becoming less and less and less. And, um, and true love is becoming more and more and more. Right. So men, um, men who have throughout had to been warriors and soldiers that through in the middle ages, they hit a point where they could be both, warriors and soldiers and lovers and how now because war is actually being overcome by the gospel um, in Christendom that men can actually focus on being husbands in a way that they haven't been able to throughout history mm. um, that because of Christ, the, the, the Prince of peace, his rule in the world is actually making is actually um transforming warriors into husbands Mm. i think that's such a cool 
I that's such a neat way of thinking, right? That now we have tried to dethrone dethrone Christ, and so we we got more war in the twentieth century than we had in any. Well, really, the entire rest of history combined, there were more deaths and war in the 20th century than any other time period. Um, that you know, and that's what you get by saying, "Hey, leave us alone to the Prince of Peace." <laughs> well, and and too, there was um, a particular large ground that was covered by the gospel that was coming to head. Is like, well, we don't want to hear. We know he's the king. But we don't want to submit to that, right? Right. And it's like, well, get ready for fighting, man. We about to, you know, you about to be overrun. Your knees are about to be broken, yeah. <laughs> so that you can bend the knee to Christ. And and so some of that is like, uh, First Corinthians fifteen, where his enemies are being made his footstool. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's, you know, some of that is happening too. All right, I'm gonna go through this. I'm I'm gonna go through this, and I'm hoping like we can move on to the next chapter, and I'll be ready for the next chapter. But I'm gonna go through this and. Um, all the context of what Lewis is, you, uh, is doing is really helpful, and because now a space trilogy feels different to me. I, at first, everybody, particularly Toby, wanted me to read. You know, look, you just need to read the last book, right? That's the one you need to read, right? And and unfortunately, I've taken reading, um, the same way that when I became reformed, the only thing that was important to read was theological works, That's right? It. That's it. You just need to read the theology. It's all that matters. Nothing else is important. And I get that. But what I think was the issue was that we've neglected to see theology in, in all of God's work, right? It's like, right. there's theology here. And so, and I'm not talking about Bible. I'm just, there's a neglect to see, when you neglect to see God's hand through history, then you will think history is um, almost, it's an evolutionistic idea of history. Things are just happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you just need to grab as much theology as you can and run. (laughs) Right. But when you start to see God's hand move through history, you realize that there's all kinds of breadcrumbs, like, like what Lewis is doing in book, you say book one, where they're like, they've been waiting to fight dragons because they know they're dragons. And they're like, oh, well now I got to go read that. But, you know, book. And I, but I think it's because the, the reformed folks at present what one of the things that one of the errors that we make is that we don't take our we we think in terms of the suppression of desire as godliness mm. rather than the ordering of desire the proper mm. ordering of desire right so what we're supposed what That's what god good. does is he reorders our loves and um ignites loves that we didn't know we should have uh, he, he, but we always think in terms of the suppression of desire rather than reordering it. So it's rare that people in the modern era desire too strongly. Mm. Usually, usually what it is, is things that are weak desires are, are the strongest desires we have. Whereas when the things that we love more, are overrun when our lower desires are overrun by desire for higher things, then they suddenly find themselves put into proper order. And you don't, you you don't, you know, um, like everyone up until the very most modern 
era, you know, post 1950, lust was considered one of the lowest runged problems, right? I mean, it's, it's like the it's level two in in the the in Dante, right? It's not it's not anywhere, in, right? We and for us, it has become the biggest, most terrifying of monsters, um, and for them. You know, lust was like it was like a it was like a, a lizard, right? You're not even up to the dragons yet. Lust lust is one of the small ones. <laughs> um because it's so easily turned because the energy um is so easily turned for good. Right? Because you get married and you know, you, you can turn that energy for good. Um it it, be, it can become fruitful so easily. Um the the i um and it's such a weak desire as other desires go the problem is we don't have other desires and so it feels really really strong mm. and, um the so and and but that's that has been that has not been the universal experience of mankind that's a distinctly modern experience that really begins popping into existence in the fifties a little bit and then big, big time in the seventies. And then um, now it, we think of that as like, you know, that's the biggest, the biggest dragon on the block. <laughs> you know, um, out, out of all the projects that I worked on, the one we did at wretched on slaying the dragon pornography, the issue of pornography was the most download and listen to piece of uh, we ever created. I mean, it was insane. It was downloaded so much. And, and the, yeah, go ahead. And if, because it's a real problem, right? It is yeah. a real problem. But it we what we try to do is we say we that's we need to suppress that desire rather than saying what's the proper use of that desire, and what does it look like to just desire other things that are better. How does that? How does that work? In a, how does how does that work? How do you, because, you know, with, with people who are struggling with this, that is um, the disciplines. Like you, I, we talked about this on the show that this goes from another desire, which turns into violence because you can't feed that one enough. And so, you know, so how do you get, how do you get a desire that's stronger than the sexual desire to be with a woman? Well, for the, um, you have to find, you, you have to actually hunt out the beautiful experiences of life that are bigger and better and greater. Right. Um, so the, um, and this is where we tend to just want so little, right. We, um, and so a Mm. lot of men in order to, to fight, um, lust and pornography they end up turning in on themselves and trying to pound it down over and over and over Uh rather than working on growing as a man becoming you know um to take to take that desire and say what does it look like to win a woman well i should go get a job i should get a go buy a house i should go out and you know um have some adventures and travel and you know grow my grow my um soul right to the point where the the desires for all these other things um out 
outpace my mm. desire for pornography, um, my those lustful desires, and then you become the kind of man too that a real woman wants. <laughs> right. right. You know, um, I was. And you know, there's there's, was, there's there's something in that too that's really important is that the desire for pornography um, isn't the same desire for a woman. Yeah. Right. Like that's really important. It's like there, there's a desire that, because the desire for a woman actually makes you do things to go get one. Right. 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 Because pornography is a turning in on yourself. Right. Um, and I mean, and, and there's a reason that I, people that turn in on themselves a lot end up homosexual. Mm. Right. That that homosexual you you because you think like why is it that so many people you know, young men get famous and they start out by being like every you know, any woman all women any woman all the time, you know, and then they end up saying, Well, actually I'm gay now. Right. <laughs> like or you, I just you, I like both sides. I just do whatever yeah, I like. You yeah. start by and then you know, but how is it that you develop homosexuality well it's because you've been turning in on yourself all this time you're not giving yourself away people are tools in your um that you are using for your own purposes because you've turned in on yourself and you have the power either through fame or money or whatever to use people as tools and then pretty soon you you know you have um the, the proper use of a woman even doesn't do it for you right so you've you've got a because he's not enough being... like me, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that instead of saying I need to suppress, 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 we need to think in terms of growing the right desires, right? Um, growing the the desires that are much more fulfilling, um, and and. Uh, Because then it that you know, your it changes you into a person that's more attractive to women. Um, I I was just writing um, a comedy recently, um, and you just got me started on The Walking Dead. Yes, so so addictive, man. Isn't that a isn't that a great? I mean, especially what, was, what episode are you on? I just started season two. Oh, okay. Season one was phenomenal, wasn't it? It was amazing. Yeah. And, but then here's the problem. Somebody stepped in a pine cone behind me recently and I was like, it's a zombie. The world is so immersive. But I was, I was writing, <laughs> I was writing um, a, a little post-apocalyptic comedy sketch because <laughs> um, now I'm all you know inspired by this whole thing. And uh, about this guy, about a young guy who's like, he's trying to be, He's he wants to like write poetry for women, and he wants to, he, and so he meets a girl. He's walking through the woods, and he's got his shotgun or his his rifle, and he meets a girl who with her little sister, and he says, "Oh," and he's trying to, like, use pickup lines and <laughs> to, to get her to go on a date with him. But it's a, it, the apocalypse has happened, and she she's like, "I'm not interested. I don't need any of that." And, I, and then he's like, "Well." I also have a farm and I'm a crack shot and I've been storing up am- <laughs> ammo. And she's like, ammo? No. 
ammo? You've Did been you storing say? up ammo? Yeah, crack shot. <laughs> so, so, crack shot. And she's like, oh, maybe I should come check out your compound. <laughs> what, and so what she finds attractive in him is his compound. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden, he's handsomer than he was a moment ago when he was trying to be romantic. <laughs> um, it, so I thought it, it was just, a, I mean, it's really just like one long joke with a punchline compound you've got a compound you say um but the idea being that yeah that i think we actually live really in something more like a post-apocalyptic world yeah and but most christian men are still thinking in terms of complementarianism and so they're not particularly attractive to women oh because women need women want a compound now they don't want a physical. Maybe somebody do does want a physical compound, but they want a man that is a compound, a man that understands the covenantal nature of things, that's living according to it, that's embracing reality, that is himself um, in his confidence in the, the way God made the world is a compound, and who has said, "And I'm working on ordering my desires. I'm working on getting getting started on the mission of taking taking." Uh, dominion of this place i and um i'm expanding you know i'm expanding my my soul my understanding through poetry and literature and travel (laughs) um you know and coming to understand the history of western civilization and you know all all of these things right that that's that is what what it means for you to become a compound do you Um, do you think though that the and i'm not i don't disagree with you i think that that's still attracts to win but do you think that um, the women have been so corrupted by the era itself that what they even want in a man is is perverse. Because I don't think we've ever seen a moment in time where pornography from women has been so high, right? And so whatever is happening to them, um, I think that, yeah, I think there is a certain Christian woman within a certain context that is thinking like that. And I think that the guys in that context are missing it. But I think that the women are so messed up too that their natural desire to want a man like that is gone, you know. And that's what we're seeing a lot in some of the um, the red pill shows that are showing women and what they really want in a guy. And um, it's kind of compound ish, but not really, <laughs> you know. Because so their that, natural desires to want a man is so screwed up. That there, I think that is happening in the world. I think there's a lot of Christian women that can't find a Christian guy that's attractive, though. That they, that they that aren't now. I do think. No, I though, think you're right what, about that. What I, ends I, up happening? This, this I think what ends up happening is a lot of these young women they end up dating around with pagan guys, sleep and you know sleeping around, and um, mm. because because they are trying to find something, right? So, um, and the the world is really messed up. I think we need, I mean, the church needs to be ready to explain how to be forgiven of your sexual sins a lot, a lot better mm. than it is right now. Right. We, we tend to shame sexual sins. And so they get, they stay hidden. Um, and then, but, and then we harden around them, right. We get a hardened shell around them where they're hidden um, because, and then that, leads to other deeper problems um you know it's yeah, because it gets infected it gets infected and yeah no, no forgiveness and, gets happening there yeah right and and 
we need to figure out how to really get good at, I mean, I think pastors need to get really good at, not in a Roman Catholic way, but need to get better at hearing confessions. And um, because right now, most pastors aren't, people don't think of a pastor as a safe place to go confess your sins. Mm -hmm. Um, When, you know, I, I, we had throughout my time as a pastor, there were a number of folks that they started coming in just like once a month and being like, I'm just going to tell you my sins for this, that I did this month. Then I would say, okay, Jesus will die for your sins. You know, and I, at one point, one guy was like, you know, you can just confess these directly to God. He's like, I know, I know they go away faster. If I come and tell you, <laughs> it's like, right. I see what he's saying. And let's here. keep doing it. Right. Let's keep right. doing it. Um, but not because they can't confess directly to God and receive that forgiveness, but there's something about the, the way the, the modern world works that we hide the sins that are really causing problems sub psychologically um, in the traditional sense of the word, soul problems, psyche, psyche means butterfly, but it also means soul. <laughs> And uh, Psyche is the one who married Cupid. Uh, so let's, let's oh, see. that's oh my goodness. <laughs> so there's too a whole much, there's a whole thing. Much. But um, psychologically, uh, we the sins that we hide that we're ashamed of um, rot our souls, mm. um, thin our souls. Yeah, uh, they they divide it up. You know, it's the it's the back room of the house that you lock the door and say, "Hey, nobody go in there." And you're like, "But it it's a funny smell coming from back there." You know, what's going on? Blood coming from underneath the door, right? And then you and um and that rots the rest of the house, and you can't um and the the practice of confessing your sins to someone and hearing the grace of God, um, I think is mostly gone from the church i mean you're not getting that at i mean we that we hire a counselor for that sort of thing a professional friend um because we don't have a culture of that within the church um uh, you know like i um yeah we, we, it's something that and the next generation honestly they need to hear those stories we can't do it if if we're completely bound by shame that the chains mm-hmm. of shame uh, are that bind us, keep us from being of use to the next generation, which I think is really important. Well, this goes back to what you said earlier, which is we don't know how to deal with our sin very well, which, and I don't think it's just the sexual sins, Jason. I think it's all of them. Yeah. I don't think it's, when I look around, it's, man, it's, those are the ones that particularly get people locked in the, you know, like, hey, okay, we don't talk about that. Yeah. But, Man, sin, period. Like all of it. Yeah. Because of that one thing, there's like you say, it's riding out so that the confession itself of any sin doesn't really happen. It's so uncommon. People don't even know how to do it. I was right. with my, you know, and this has really been good for me as a father. But when I sin against my kids, I repent and I tell them, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And we work through it and so on and so forth. And my kids I do it with each other as well. And so when it happens and people see it, they're like, what just, it's a culture shock that someone confessed something that was wrong and then it and then come to the person expecting that telling them what they sinned against them would bring reconciliation. 
<laughs> right? They're like, whoa, what is it? And then he forgave them and then they kept playing and things went right. It was like, well, that's what we believe, right? That's that's right. what we, we and so now um when my when my children sin against me or their mother and we teach them, okay, you go to us and now you go to the Lord, right? And then you repent to him too. And now there's this culture there that's that's um happening of repentance. And I want, you know, now even with my kids as they're getting older, I want them to know that hasn't changed. But if if we're not doing it in our own homes and dealing with the sins that are there in that manner, then of course it's going to be that same way everywhere else because there's no real forgiveness. Where do you go? You know, where do you go to get forgiveness? Well, you right. don't. There's no place. So you better hide it and bury it. And now, now this thing festers and it starts building up and then he brings forth death after a while, right? Because you're not repenting right. of it. Um, and so... Yeah, that I think I think that has it's not just that one thing, it's all of it. And I think COVID helped bring that out. There's what did what do you shame is a great way to get people to be in control. And whenever you're controlled by shame, you're not free. You're just not free. You can't operate. And so we're but a culture what, full that, of shame. That's what we discovered in COVID, is we were really easy to manipulate. Um, yep. And it was be and all it took was a little bit of shame and we were like oh yeah so which means that i mean we don't understand that jesus took our shame i mean jesus died naked on the cross because he was wearing our shame oh come on now and he, he didn't come he he didn't come out of the tomb naked that's because right. the shame was gone right 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 Oh, that's good stuff. All right. So next week we're into C.S. Lewis with uh, Alistair Fa uh, Fowler, Spencer's Images of Life, Chapter 2. I'm going to go through this one, but it goes to 11. It looks like it just jumps right to 11. Am I right about that? Oh, no. it's That's a that's Roman numerals. I I. I knew that. <laughs> so, yeah. Antitypes to the false Cupid, which is a really funny way of. But right, it tells you how tired an, I am. Antitypes to the false Cupid. So, I right, know that's the double negative. <laughs> that's weird. I'm going to go through and finish reading this, bro. This is really good. This is really good. So, are we going to get to reading any Spencer or we're just going to go through this slowly? And then. Well, I, I, I would think that probably once we get through the first three chapters, then we jump into. Cause it gives you like, here's kind of a, how to read Spencer. Um, okay. And then I think we read, read the first three chapters. Then let's jump in and read book read one of book one of from Spencer. Spencer. Yeah. Oh, that sounds exciting. 